When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought him, brought in the child, Jesus, to do what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed." And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Throughout this season, the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at different songs inspired by the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Ways that different people in the story of the first Christmas, ways they responded, singing, writing, uh, laughing, uh, anticipating. And so what we've done then is invited the different pastors of the Grace Network to come and rotate through and preach different sermons on these Advent songs. And so I'm happy to introduce to you uh, someone who's, I know, becoming more familiar uh, over time for those of you that have been a part of our community. But this is Pastor Glenn Hoberg, who's the uh, pastor of uh, Grace Downtown and who is an uh, incredible brother and friend of mine, and I long for you to get to know him personally and to be blessed by him, uh, not only by his ministry, but also his fellowship. And so, Glenn, why don't you come on up, and uh, let me say a word of prayer for you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for being near your promise of Advent that you don't stand far off, you're not an aloof God, but you are a near God. And so we pray that you would advent even now by your spirit as we listen to your word, and that you would use our brother Glenn, and that you would be faithful to us through him, penetrate our hearts, change our lives. We ask for nothing less, exalt your son Jesus, that he would receive the praise that he deserves. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's all welcome Pastor Glenn together. Good morning. Happy Advent. I'm uh, glad to be with you this morning. I had a chance to just be here, I think, about a month ago. And uh, someone I saw someone uh, last night who's one of your uh, uh, members, part of your congregation, and they said, you're going to be at Meridian Hill tomorrow, aren't you? And I said, I love going to Meridian Hill. Uh, always uh, fills my heart with joy. And I'm glad to be with you to uh, ponder 
this incredible idea of God coming to earth for us and coming again for us on this fourth Sunday of Advent, fourth Sunday in the Christmas season. And as Duke mentioned, we're talking about the songs of Advent, and by that we mean poems and praises, things that came out of the heart of people as this news was dawning on them, as the coins were dropping. So hopefully you'll start to feel some of that joy or comfort. That's the song we're looking at this morning. The song of Simeon is a song of comfort or consolation. Now, uh, we're well aware of the power of music to comfort us. Uh, SNL had a funny take on this around Thanksgiving with... Um, uh, you know, Adele's song, Hello, maybe some of you saw that, where, you know, it was this picture of a Thanksgiving meal and uh, conflict, maybe it reminded you of your Thanksgiving meal, and it certainly it's happened at mine at times. Conflict, chaos, but whenever the song would come on, everybody would just transform, love one another. Uh, silly, but it was getting at the idea, right, of the, uh, the power of song. Uh, but we don't need skits to tell us that. There's a whole discipline of this, right? Music therapy uh, that's used for the healing of people. And we all have our own playlist of comfort. Music that we put on when we feel like we're a little bit down. Maybe it's Adele's Hello for You. Maybe it's Miles Davis' Blue and Green. Uh, maybe it's Aaron Copeland's Letter from Home. Maybe it's a hymn like It Is Well With My Soul. But you look for something that will comfort your heart. Now... Probably the first comfort song any of us ever heard was a lullaby, right? As mom's holding us or grandmom's holding us in, the ar in their arms and singing. Well, we have a little twist this morning on the lullaby because it's not the baby that's being comforted. It's actually the one holding the baby that's being comforted. As this righteous old Saint Simeon holds the baby Jesus, he experiences the comfort of God. It's a very beautiful and poignant scene of this one waiting for years and years. And now he's holding the child and he lets forth a song. And it's a song that we need to hear today. Um, because as Duke was mentioning earlier, real life doesn't stop during Christmas, does it? <laughs> and uh, all the ugly sweaty sweater parties in the world... And, uh, you know, all the holly jolly and eggnog doesn't quite comfort us with the deep traumas and tragedies, whether they be on the newspaper or in our own family. Maybe it's the empty seat around the table that you saw at Thanksgiving that you'll see again during this season of Advent. And so we are in need of real comfort. And that's what we're given here in this song of Simeon. And I want to look at it very simply. Who is the comfort for? Who is the consolation for? And what is it about? What does it look like? So let's look at those two things together. First of all, who is the consolation or the comfort for? And it's for two groups of people, the righteous and the longing. The righteous and the longing. When we heard this read, you probably heard this emphasis coming through of righteousness. 
I mean, it shows up in where the scene is taking place. It takes place at the temple, the very place where God's law was read and people, you know, uh, obeyed God through their service of worship. It's seen not only in where, but it's why Joseph and Mary are there. They're there to fulfill certain laws that God said when you had a child and you dedicated this child to service. So you see it in why they're there. But we certainly see it in who is there. Simeon, this one who is mentioned to be righteous and devout and filled with God's spirit. If we moved a couple of verses forward, we could talk about his female counterpart, Anna, who is also righteous and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is righteous on two different levels. On one hand, his righteousness is about the fact that he has lived a sincere and faithful life trying to live what are called the two great commandments. Loving God with all you got and loving your neighbor as yourself. But there's a deeper level that he's experienced righteousness. Because that first one I mentioned flows out of a deeper well. And that is Simeon understood a righteousness, a standing that he had before God that came to him by God's grace. As he looked ahead in faith to God's Messiah King coming. Jesus, just like Abraham looked ahead to God's promise. Simeon looks ahead. And that ought to give us some hope because I don't know about you, when I look at my first level righteousness, well, it's sort of up and down like the stock market. There are some days where I feel like, man, I am really loving God and striving to love my neighbor as myself. And there are other days where, frankly, I'm ashamed of how I love even my own family. And so it would be very easy for us to hear, well, if the comfort is for the righteous, I guess I ain't getting any comfort this Christmas. But we find here God is offering a righteousness that ensures that you will get comfort. You know, there's a story um, about C.S. Lewis, you know, this famous writer. And he was attending a conference in Britain on... Uh, comparative religion you know basically some of you have probably taken those classes before where they just well you compare religions and they were having this discussion this room of scholars that he sort of walked into and he overheard it and they were debating is there anything unique about Christianity anything unique about it and Lewis said well that's easy it's grace Grace is the one thing that sets apart the Christian faith from all other faiths. You see, all other religious faiths are about providing righteousness to God. Secularism is about providing righteousness to the world. The Christian faith is about receiving righteousness from God so that you might live righteously in the world. You see, it's solely a message of grace. And so those that desire to be righteous find that by God's good gift, you can. What I'm saying is you can be considered righteous without a flaw today, holy and blameless before God today, completely by his doing, by grace. Jesus once uh, came upon his city, and his heart was filled with heaviness. And he looked at Jerusalem, and he said, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? You hear what he said there? 
I so long to comfort you, but you won't have it. It's actually reflected in our reading today where Simeon says this child will cause the falling and rising of many. When you read the Bible, who falls? Something comes before a fall. Does anybody know what? Pride. The prideful fall. And so you see right here, the unrighteous or the prideful are those that ultimately refuse to be comforted by God's grace. There are those that say, no, God, I will establish my own righteousness before you in the world. I will stand righteous before you. Those are the people that do not receive comfort. It's the humble that receive comfort. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Those that rise, as Simeon would say, those that are lifted up. The prophet Micah said, what has the Lord required of you? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So you see, those that are righteous are the humble and those are the ones that receive comfort. So the sad irony here is the unrighteous receive, don't receive comfort ultimately because of their pride and the refusal to receive the Messiah who the prophet Isaiah told us will heal not just our circumstance because many times we want our circumstance healed. That's what we want first and foremost. Heal my body, heal my career, you know, heal my, um, you know, heal my love life. Heal all these different problems. Many people came to Jesus for that sort of healing. And you know something? Jesus would heal them. Out of kindness, he would heal them. But they would walk away, and they had missed a different healing. A healing that Isaiah talked about when it said, the Messiah King will heal us of our iniquities. He will heal us of our sins. I mean, listen, you are not going to feel rest and comfort at the deepest level unless that happens, right? You could have the fattest bank account. You could have the sweetest house. You could have the best job in the world. You will not feel comforted in your soul until you have been comforted on that level. So the righteous. But the second group is the longing. Those that live in what we would call holy discontent. Simeon was a righteous person who lived a long time aching and desiring for something. He was waiting. Anybody waiting for anything in this room? Does anybody remember when you used to have to wait for things? It was like a long time ago. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember when you actually had to wait for things. You know, there wasn't in the one-click button or two-day prime. You know, you can even get same day, I understand, if you pay enough money. But, you know, you actually got, you had to get a catalog. You know, like you find a thing and find the number, and then you, like, write it down in this thing. And then you'd, you know, you get the paper. You have to fold the paper, right? And, Stick it in an envelope, right on the envelope, right? Stamp, does anybody have a stamp? No stamps, we'll have to wait for two days. Put it in, you know, stick it there, wait for two, three weeks, four weeks, right? Waiting. We struggle to wait. There was a study done um, in the University of Massachusetts, and they were measuring how long people would wait for a video to upload, you know? And they found that the average time that people would wait was two seconds, you know? <laughs> You know, basically by 10 seconds, half the people were gone off the website. So we struggle to wait. But the ability to wait is the sign of a godly, righteous person for two reasons. First of all, it's a sign they're not too easily satisfied. Um, you know, again, I think C.S. Lewis is really good here. And this quote I'm going to read to you, he's talking more about the gifts that God has given us in life. 
in the things of beauty we enjoy, like music and books, but I think it also applies to a deeper level. But listen to this. He says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trusted them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. He's saying all those things that we enjoy, you know, ultimately, they don't do it for us. You hear a song that you love, you know, you, you outplay it, you overplay it, right? You play it so many times it no longer has comfort for you. Things run out in this life. But there's a deeper longing, and so the godlier people that are not satisfied in this life, this life could be never enough to fill their hearts. You know, even if they have the ideal of Christmas scene, you know, where you sort of peer in the, in the glass and you see everybody around the table with the big turkey and everybody's happy, the perfect family, the perfect meal, all the presents, it wouldn't be enough. And you know that's true with you because God made you for himself. Right? I mean, you're never going to be satisfied until you have him. So Simeon finally gets to hold that child, which leads to the second thing. It's only the Lord himself that would do that. Simeon says, I can die in peace. Why? Why can he die in peace now? Because he's met his 75-year goals? You know, because he's now going to cruise into retirement? Why is it that Simeon can say, finally, what was Simeon's finally in life? Finally in life. It was he had met the Son of God. He was holding God close to himself. He could say, finally. It's the same with you and I. You know, there are many things that we think, well, finally. I can be on the name of important people's lips, finally. I can reach this milestone in my career finally, or finally I'm dating someone, or I'm married to someone that I think is going to make my life perfect. Finally, no. Finally. It reminds us of Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, after a, you know, I love Psalm 73. If you ever struggle with envy, if you ever struggle with looking around you going, I want what they have, read this psalm. Because it's so raw and so wonderful, the way the Bible's raw and wonderful. And he's like, I'm just mad, God. Mad about what everybody else has. And then he ends by this. He has a transformative experience with God. And he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His second advent must be our ambition. It must be the thing that we long for. It's what God made for you. But to close this out, what, what does this comfort look like as we sort of magnify down onto it? Three things. First of all, it's both personal and universal comfort. Um, Simeon, it's a personal matter for him, and I love this. He's able to say, God, my eyes have seen your comfort. You know, your servant. He's able to connect himself personally with his comfort and it's the same with all of us here each of us has to come to this place where we go God I want the comfort of this Messiah for each of us here a couple weeks ago I read a psalm I was just having a day where I just felt anxious 
and worried. And the psalm was so beautiful, it said, God, you count my tossings and collect my tears in a volume. I love that. He, God is counting, you know, so maybe this time this week you were anxious, you're on your bed, toss, 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 and there's an angel up there going, click, 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 click. Yeah, he's still tossing, Lord. You know, the Lord is going, oh, my child, my child is so worried. That's a 38 toss, you know, or the tears in a bottle. There are tears that you have wept silently or tears that you have wept that no one has seen, even your best friends. And God has seen them and he has collected them. This is what we're told. But it's also beyond that. It's a universal. Simeon isn't just waiting for Simeon's consolation. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, the consolation of God's community where the Messiah is revealed. He's not just after personal peace and affluence. He desires for his community to know that comfort, but even beyond Israel, because he says the consolation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all nations. And so God gives this, this old saying of you into the prophecy of the Old Testament, what you've coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means all nations, all peoples. And that is the Apostle Paul, his great you know, job was to bring the gospel global, to take it global. Simeon understands that God's heart was always to bring healing to the world. You can go to the book of Revelation and it says down the middle of the street, you know, of the holy city, there's a tree and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. You know, each race and ethnicity a nation has its own wounds, doesn't it? Has its own story. Has its own pains. And here you have leaves on that, on that tree that will heal the nations just where they need it. This is the Lord's desire. His desire is to comfort not just one people group. And even the earth, we sang, you know, joy to the world, far as the curse is found talks about the rocks and the trees and all those different things, right? The healing that God will bring even to the earth. Now, many people in Jesus' day thought that was going to come from a, a, a political change. And I'll tell you, that, that happens in our town every four to eight years, right? I'm amazed at the renewed optimism of people. Now, don't, don't get, that, that sounds very cynical, okay? I better, that was probably a landmine to say. I, let me say it this way. God has instituted the state. It's one of the things he's instituted. So if you work in that, you're in a noble profession, okay? But what amazes me is the ability for people to say, it's all going to be better now. It's all going to be better now, right? It's just sort of like over and over and over. It happens, it happens. Well, we share that with Israel. But Jesus showed up and showed something different. What shalom looked like, what peace looked like, what the comfort looked like, was what his ministry would look like. And sure, there were enemies to be defeated, but the enemies probably weren't who we thought they were going to be. In Jesus' day, one of the enemies were religious leaders that laid burdens on people. But Jesus' ministry came as it touched, you know, the poor, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, even the unrighteous. He gave earth a taste of the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Jesus was doing. But Jesus has gone to heaven. Who's doing it now? You are. 
the church is doing. The collective people of God that have the spirit of God, they now are the ones that are to show the world comfort is still available. And that's why I rejoice in your presence here. Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, they know that comfort is available because of communities like you. And so it drives our mission. We understand there's a lot of people that are down and out this Christmas. And they need to know that Jesus is still comforting people. But it also drives our identity. This song historically has been called Nunc Dimittis. And it's, it's, it's Latin for basically him saying, now you're letting your servant depart. You're letting your servant dismiss. That's what Simeon says. And I hope you caught that word there. How did he sum up his identity at the end of his life? Servant. He understood himself primarily to have been a servant all his life. And so God's comfort then changes us in that way where we begin to say, my job is to be a servant of comfort in my neighborhood, in my relationships, in my family. This is what he has called Simeon to do, what he has called us to do. So it's universal and personal. But more briefly here, the last two, comfort and conflict, are what it's also about. Simeon said this child would be simultaneously conflict and comfort at the same time. And once you get into a relationship with Jesus, you nod your head to that. (laughs) I mean, I love uh, the Gospels. I love the stories of Jesus with his disciples. I mean, I think if, you know, Tums would have been available back then, they would have been eating them all the time. I mean, Jesus, it wasn't, you know, one minute you're just like sort of in his bosom, and the next minute he's looking at you and he's just going, what? Like, you know, can you, can you really think that? Can you really do that? I mean, to be in a relationship with God, you know, C.S. Lewis, to quote him for the third time, um, you know, he would, he would say essentially, he's not safe, but he's good, right? This is what it's like to be in relationship with God. And so he says that he will be a sign that is opposed, a sword that divides those who receive him, actually from those who will receive him and those who will not. He says to Mary, though, your heart will be wounded as well by watching what will happen to your son. And why is Jesus Christ come like a sword into our lives? Why is that? Because as king of grace, he he lays claim to our self-righteousness. And he topples our meritocracy. You know, I mean, if you want to ask what form of government America lives under, it's that. Americans love to live under a meritocracy where I justify myself by my merit. You know, I, I, I jumped through the hoops. I did the things I should have done. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. This is part of the American narrative. I live by, you know, my rights. I live by my freedom. I live by my choices. It's a meritocracy. And the beautiful thing that God does is he comes in and he topples our self-righteousness and that government falls and we come under the government of Christ in the reign of grace. And then we can stop living just by achievement and we start loving people. We can start comforting people. It's less about this is what I've done, but we zone in and go, what can I do for you? But that is a comfort and a conflict in our hearts. It will be for all of us. Any day where that's challenged, and I just maybe just want to say, expect it. 
You know, th- th- don't be surprised by it, and maybe you understand what is happening. Oh, God is trying to topple down my meritocracy so I can live under grace. But finally, it's also revelation and glory. He says, as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Two things. He says that, first of all, the coming of this son will be a light, an aha moment for the nations. You know, we often talk about aha moments where the light came into our eyes and we saw something. Well, how is it a light? The Apostle Paul, I think, gives us a good description of how it is. And he's talking about himself personally and what his job was. His job, again, was to preach the gospel to the nations. But listen how he understands it. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for, every, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for God in ages. Do you see what he's saying there? Two aha moments. Number one, it was personal. Well, Paul was saying, it is like God's grace is a continual revelation to me. I just, the deeper I go into it, it just blows me away. It's more aha moments of how God loves me. It's more aha moments of how he has accepted me. It's just dawning more and more. And it's supposed to be that way for each one of us. Paul could never get over God's grace for he could get, never get over God's love for him. He could never get over the fact that God had picked him out a rebel and swept him into his eternal purposes and would use him as a servant. For each of us, we need to be having that light dawning on us. But he also says for the nations. The other thing that Paul couldn't get over was God's heart for the world. God's heart for people groups, not of his own. God's heart for his pan-ethnic bride, his cross-cultural community. But it also would be revelation for the glory of Israel. God once said to Israel, it's too small a thing for you to be witnessed just within your own tribe. You're going to be a light to the world. Israel's destiny was to be both a model and a messenger. They were supposed to be a model community of shalom so the nations could look at it and go, that's what justice looks like. That's what loving your neighbor is supposed to look like. But they were also supposed to be a messenger. Now, in the old covenant, the way people came to know that is they came into Israel. But in the new covenant, Israel, the new Israel, the church is sent out into the world. But you know something? Israel often failed in that mission, just like you and I fail in that mission. We fail to let our little light shine, as we should. But the good news about this is the Messiah of Israel won't fail. You see, when the Messiah came, he would be the light of the world. He wouldn't just bring light, he would be the light. And that light would shine. And he would accomplish such a salvation for his people that the book of Ephesians would say believers in Jesus Christ are not just the light of the world. They are light. You are light in your very identity. And so through the Messiah, the job will get accomplished. As the king comes, it will be for the glory of Israel. Basically, God will look at Israel and God will look at his people and say, good job. Good job at shining the light in the world. Good job at accomplishing the mission I gave you. Why? Because the Son of God made it so. He accomplished what needed to be done. 
so that one day you will hear job well done. And that's another reason to feel comforted. Those of you that I know sincerely desire to serve God and his mission. And, you know, I, I do it vocationally. Duke does it vocationally. And I can tell you, every day I sort of wake up and I'm like, am I doing a good enough job? And you know what I hear? No, yes. Right? And this is where God meets us with Christ. And so, with the coming of this Messiah, uh, we can begin to sing a song of comfort. I hope you will add it to your playlist. I hope it will be the song that uh, you go to for comfort. May I pray with you? Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ the Messiah. Thank you for his wounds being our comfort, his suffering being our healing. We do praise you. And Lord Jesus Christ, we look with great anticipation to your return. Amen.